0: Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the
1: following message touches your hearts and minds. We'll
0: start with Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 9. The Sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He awakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed, The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, have I set my face like Flint. And I know I will not be to put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face face each other. Who is my accuser? Let me confront. Let them. Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all hear. They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Our second scripture reading is taken from Matthew 4, verses 18 through 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Going on there, he saw two other brothers named Son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat, and their father's Zebedee prepared in their nets. Jesus called to them imme- immediately. They left the boat and their father and followed him. And our final scripture is Romans ten, one through 18. Brothers and sisters, my heart desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them, and they are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes us about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart, who will, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If we declare with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is a Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom... They have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them and how can anyone preach unless they are sent and it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news for Isaiah says Lord who has believed our message. Consequently faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask you. Did they not hear of the course they did? Their voice has gone out into the earth, their words to the ends of the world. The Lord may add his blessing to his reading. This is the first time I met Al Giles. Um, I heard he's been here before. Uh, I didn't have the pleasure. So I'll give you a brief uh, story about him. Al was the husband of Sherelle. Is there? okay? father of two sons and two grandsons. Uh, Al experienced two significant life changes when he met Don Grable of the Navigators Ministry in 2007, the disciple-making movement known as 3DM, in 2011. His passion is to train and release disciple-makers who create and lead families on missions throughout eastern Pennsylvania and northeastern U.S. In addition to having led EC congregations in eastern PA for 37 years, He has been the top investment advisor representative for Primerica Financial Services Office in Allentown, PA for the last two years. He is a fully securities licensed and fiduciary financial advisor. Alan Giles.
1: Good morning.
0: Good
1: morning. I'm sitting there wondering who he was describing. Like, who is that guy? Wow. All right. um, So... I am a very. I have a very strong conviction that um, what happens next could be the most important thing that happens all morning. Not my, mer- not, not my message, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, reading scripture, and this passage uh, jumped out at me this morning. And what I'd like to do is um, share just the one question. That Jesus asks in this passage. And. I I want you. To ask. That question of yourself. As if Jesus was speaking to you. Okay. It's a very familiar story. uh, In the gospels. And it's about Jesus traveling through. a, a, A portion of town. And in that portion of town. Is a man blind. Named Bartimaeus. And. He's, Bartimaeus is calling out with everything in him, and he's asking basically for help. And somehow through the noise of the crowd, Jesus hears him. And as their meeting takes place, Bartimaeus is brought to Jesus, and Jesus asks Bartimaeus this question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? I'm going to ask that we take a few moments right now. If you'd like, close your eyes and uh, envision as best you can a conversation with Jesus. And in that conversation, he asks you that question. What do you want me to do for you? And I want to add a little parentheses like right now. Keep in mind, this is Jesus talking, right? So that's the who. (laughs) What do you want me? That's Jesus, right? And then the question that I asked was, okay, is this like (laughs) open-ended, right? Okay. What is the most desperate need that you can come in touch with in your heart and mind, in your life today, in your relationships? Ask that question and listen Let's do that now. Jesus, with our holy imagination, we want to position ourselves in front of you this morning. Thinking of some of the songs that we sang together, what an amazing day that would be. And it is, it's real. We do get to meet in front of you today. We get to talk with you today. We get to listen to you today. We can't help but think about the other song. That why, even though we're unworthy, Christ in love gave himself for us, that's the me that we present to you today. And to humbly hear you ask us the question, what what would you like me to do for you? And so, Father, we quiet ourselves We allow that question to sink in. And as we search our hearts and our minds, as we go through the the filing cabinet of our lives, even the, the snapshots of today or this past week, and we think about a need that surfaced or that became evident to us. Lord, we this morning choose to present that as our answer to your question. So hear the prayers of the hearts of your people and guide us as we consider even more in the moments to come. Amen. All right. Let me see if I can do this as well. There we go. All right. So I was speaking at a church just this summer doing what I'm doing this morning, filling in for a pastor who was away on vacation. And so that has become kind of my church-based life right now, helping out pastors who need some time off, and I love it. And I went to the church and, of course, had my message prepared, but I'll tell you what, that morning I learned a lot, not because I had a great message, but because I observed what went on around me. A little bit during the service, both before and after I spoke, but in particular, In a small group meeting that happened after the service, which I was excited to know that this church had set aside time after the morning worship experience where a few people, and it was probably a good good portion of the congregation, got together and asked this question What did you hear God say this morning? And then they sat around and talked about it. It was cool. In that group around that fairly large table was a woman who had attended that church for the first time that day.
0: Now, number one,
1: again, observing what's going on, she had a lot of guts, right? (laughs) Like First time in a large group and then coming together in a small group setting to have the conversation of what did God say today? And so there was conversation leading up to that and then, mind blown number two, She spoke up. What she said was, I felt really at home here. (laughs) And then she said, and here's why. And then she described what had gone on in the service and how it impacted her. She started to cry. She said, I tried a number of different churches and I just didn't find that whatever it is that you're looking for, right? She's like, I felt it this morning. And then what happened next blew my mind even more in a bad way. One of the, I would assume, long-term members of that church literally did not listen to a word she just shared from her heart and moved on with what he wanted to say. (laughs) And and I'm going like, okay, I'm just a guest pastor, right? So I'm thinking I want to like really kind of draw her back in. But like like the conversation just took off, right? And I thought, more than likely, she'll never be back, (laughs) right? So what I'm asking of you this morning is, and you've hopefully been able to to already be doing this, what I loved happened when uh, Bob was reading the scripture, I saw Bibles open, I saw people following along, awesome. Not just reading and not just like taking in, but actually looking and listening, what is God saying to me today? And so that's why I said, even before the message, what we did in that prayer time was probably more important than, than the whole message. But we'll keep moving, all right? So what I want to focus on this morning is the patterns of Jesus. So when I'm saying that, what I'm saying is m- many of us know and are familiar with the words of Jesus. I, if I'd ask, I, I would hear quotes of verses that are very familiar, okay, from, from all of you. And, and, of course, I think we're all very familiar with a lot of his miracles, Okay. We can name probably at least 10 miracles right off the top of our head so we know Jesus' words and we know his miraculous works. But do we understand and see in scripture, not always just like purely in words, but in the flow of scripture, the overarching and significant patterns of Jesus' life, how he lived, how he interacted with people, how he related, how he led people. Those significant patterns are very important, I think, for us to begin to grasp and and wrap our hearts and minds around and actually start to pattern our life after as we seek to follow Jesus every day. All right, I got to remember to do this. I'm not used to this, sorry. There we go. So one of the scriptures that was read this morning, okay, uh, Matthew 4, 18 through 20, talked about... The, the initial calling of two brothers and then two more brothers, right? And in that, I just want you to see the bigger picture. Jesus didn't call organizations. He didn't call buildings. He called people, persons, in this case, two sets of brothers. So there's a whole nother dynamic, right? Then he, he sends these persons, these teams of persons, literally, later on, two by two, He sends them. He even tells them in the beginning, I'm sending you out to fish for people. Jesus calls persons. Jesus sends persons. And I want you to hear this. Jesus wants us to represent him where he sends us. So here's my place in life right now. You heard a little bit in the bio that that Bob read for you. Here's, I'm, in the post pastoral phase, all right, I'm no longer actively pastoring a local church. My last Sunday was Easter of 2021. Since then, I've been doing what I explained, you know, earlier, what I'm doing even this morning. But I've also begun a second career in financial services. As part of that career, I'm part of a team of people that meets in Allentown at an office. And as part of that office, we get trained every Tuesday night, every Saturday morning. There's training that goes on, usually, it's by the if you want to call them the higher ups, the long experience. But they just now began to open this up for us movies. Okay? Tuesday night, I had the opportunity to lead the whole team that was present, and we also do the Zoom thing. All right? And here's what I got to do I got to incorporate my faith fully into that setting. So I got to tell you. Um, that, my mentor, the basically the, the guy that runs the whole, he's a sales, national sales director, multimillionaire. You wouldn't know it if you saw him, but multimillionaire. He was sitting in the very front row at a table with his notebook open. And as I started speaking, here's what he was doing. And I, I, Like halfway through the talk, I'm like, wait a minute, hold, hold on here. Right? I'm, I'm new to this thing. I'm a drop in the bucket compared to what this guy has and yet he was there in the front row taking notes feverishly. I'm having an influence on someone like that. You know what I spoke about? Mark 1.15. I actually quoted the verse and I, you know, preface it by saying I know not all of you might not be on board with the whole Christian thing but here's I can't help it. You can take the pastor out of the church, but you can't take the church out of the pastor. And I just, I went with it and I explained to them how to look for moments in life where your life could really change. That's what Kairos moments are. Mark 1.15, the time has come. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is it's very near. Therefore, repent and believe the good news. Afterwards, Numbers of people that I didn't know their personal life came up to me. They gave you that look like, I believe what you believe, right? How cool was that, right? And they said, we want to thank you for bringing out what you did tonight. It's really helpful. And then my mentor pulls me aside. Here's what he says. You know, I, I'm a leader. He's got some family issues that he's been dealing with for years. And he goes, I've had those moments. So if you know anything about what Jesus asks us to do, he doesn't ask us just to think and go go through stuff. But he he asks us to interact with others who love us and care about us and come up with, okay, what's God saying? And then how am I going to change my life because of that? Repent and believe, all right? He said this to me. He goes, with everything I've gone through, he goes, I've thought through a lot. I've been through a lot. I don't have anybody to process this with. Mental note made. (laughs) Okay. That's what I'm able to do right now. Don't know that I would have that opportunity if I was just only in the pastor or only in the church. But I'm having that opportunity in this new world that I'm in. And I love it. It's scary. No doubt. It's scary, but I love it. So, here we go. Here's what's going on. Jesus' unique pattern is relational and it's also training. Jesus invites. Come, follow me. Be part of what I'm doing. The exact words in Matthew 4, right? And then he challenges it. And I'm going to, he didn't say it in these words, but I'm going to paraphrase. I'm going to transform your life so that no longer you're going to be throwing nets into the sea to catch fish to live on. He goes, you're going to be like metaphorically throwing out nets to like influence people into the thing that I'm doing. The kingdom. And, you know, Jesus' approach to this, which is invitation and challenge, seems to have worked. Yeah? I mean, we, we wouldn't be sitting here today if those two sets of brothers and, you know, a few others wouldn't have gone along. So, here's here's what we can learn from this. If, and there's a, a beautiful grid that we can put up, but I, I won't go into details. But if we're all invitation, if Jesus would have just said, hey, hey, come follow me, we'll have a great time. You're going to see a lot. You're going to, it'd be great, right? There would be absolutely no growth in that. However, you go to the other side. Whoops. Go the other side. If Jesus was all challenged, and instead of saying, hey, come follow me, he starts with, I got a job for you all to do. Drop the nets. We're going to get busy. All right? That's all challenge, but not a whole lot of life and fun involved with that. And so as we look at Jesus, the genius of Jesus, how he handled the whole thing relationally was invitation hey, it be part of what I'm doing. Challenge. And part of what we're going to be doing is you're going to change and you're going to influence other people. See the pattern? Imitation and challenge. Okay, how does this flesh out? Let's look particularly, and I didn't put the name up there, but the life of Peter. All right. And, uh, you know, we we just saw the beginning of uh, Peter's connection with Jesus in Matthew 4. Now we're going to almost the other end of that, at least as far as Jesus' ministry in Matthew 26, towards the end of that gospel, where I'm not going to read it, but you know that story. Peter's following from a distance the whole night when Jesus is on trial and things are getting really, really serious and really, really bad. And so Peter still wants to be part of it somehow. And he's following at the distance. And at that distance... People recognize him, you're not from like Jerusalem, are you? Right? And then the three questions, right? And then what happens to the three questions? You know him, right? And he goes, nope, don't know him. Okay? The denial, right? I personally cannot think of anything more deflating and gut wrenching than what Peter experienced that night. And the scripture tells us about that by the last. Sentence description of what happened. He went out and wept bitterly after the three-part denial. So we have the denial of Peter. Okay? Then we have, later on, not much later, just a few days later, in John 21, is the restoration. I believe this moment that uh, Peter had been through absolutely shattered him. I I also believe that Jesus knew that. And Jesus took all the necessary steps. Here it is. Not only to bring healing to a broken man, but to bring restoration unto productivity. You see, Peter didn't come out of that seaside breakfast thinking like, man, I feel so good. I'm going to go back to fishing and just live my life and be at peace. That's how it happened, right? He came back from that experience and was part of the leadership team that changed the world. How did I skip over one? There we go. You gotta see this. Intense moments denying your best friend in public. (laughs) Powerful restoration. An intimate conversation. Hard questions, but questions not meant to tear further down, but to build back up, in fact, to fully restore. That's what we see going on in those last couple days there between the denial and the seaside breakfast. See, here's, here's my look at this. I don't think Peter would have ever become the leader of the early Jesus movement if he hadn't been through the intense moments of denial. And the powerful moments of restoration. Somehow I do not see that Peter would have been as effective as a speaker, as a leader, as an interactor with people if he had just like not even gone to the courtyard that night. And yeah, he would have been hurt maybe that this happened to his best friend and then he saw the... Think about the depths of personal experience that Peter personally went through and then seeing his his master die, and then literally, and I don't care what you read or think, he thought it was all over. <laughs> he thought it was over. And then the resurrection. <laughs> so now he knows it's not over, but he still thinks he's over, right? He thought it was he was he thought he was toast until seaside breakfast and the conversation where Jesus personally enters his heart, enters his mind, and brings him back and restores him. Your life. Have you had that kind of intense moment of failure? Shame-filled devastation? Where you really didn't want to wake up the next morning? Have you had that? I have. And in some ways, I'm still not able to talk about it much in public. I have processed it with a few trusted friends. They've helped me to be restored. I've learned from that many times. I'm still not done learning from it. But I've been restored. You see, this seems to be a pattern of Jesus. Not that he relishes in us going through difficult times. I think the difficult times in this world are a given. You can't pick and choose them. Yes, sometimes you might make choices that lead you down the bad pathway, but ultimately, you're going to go through them. And you know, this seems to be a pattern of Jesus to use in your life and in mine. Revelation three nineteen and 20, I think it's been the most misunderstood passage. I've heard it probably hundreds and thousands of times applied to the evangelical call to come to Jesus. What does it say? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And so our image of that passage is you have this broken, lost sinner outside the door of salvation. He's knocking on the door so that Jesus will let him in and then they can be coming together and he can get saved. And that's kind of a nice picture, but that's not what's happening in Revelation 3. Revelation 3 is in a series of messages of the Spirit to churches, to people who are already following Jesus. Here's what it says. Let me find it real quick. Revelation 3. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest. Another word that's used there, and I prefer it, is to be zealous, be excited, and Repent and change. Here I am, this is Jesus speaking, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So this seems to be a pattern that Jesus, again and again, it it emerges in the scriptures. And what I find most appealing about this is that it's not just For all you trying to follow me, trying to make sense of life, you know, all you humans down there. (laughs) It's the pattern of Jesus himself. In the passage, very uniquely, where Jesus is showing himself to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He's in this conversation, and in the conversation, they don't recognize him. He knows what's going on. And what he tells us in scripture is that he opens the scripture to help them see that from the prophet's this is the pattern, people. <laughs> the Christ, the Messiah, and he, and he uses this word, must suffer. And then realize the glory. Is, this was Jesus' very own experience. Now, please misunderstand. He did not fail, okay? But he was unjustly put to the most shameful and humiliating death and experience leading up to the death that we can imagine as human beings. This is the pattern that he describes in the conversation with those disciples. And what is the pattern? Suffering, then glory. I want to encourage you this morning with two final scriptures that I think kind of kind of pull this together for us. First of all, I want to ask the question, will you believe and receive what God himself is willing to give you? What is he giving? Here we go. Second Corinthians four, six. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light Shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I don't know if you catch the tenses there, but it's saying He's already begun shining in us. We're not talking a, a little pen light that you have at the end of your keychain for your car, we're talking the light that radiates from the face of Christ, God is already gifting to you and I if we've come to that place of saying, I'm following you. He makes his light shine in our hearts. Can you see him shining on you this morning? And here's the thing, even if you're still lost in the suffering part, can you really believe it? the light of the glory of God shown in the face of Christ is actually shining in your heart and in mine this morning. It's already there. And the final thought that I want to share on the pattern of Jesus. Actually, I'm sure none of you will remember, but last time I spoke here, this was my key verse. All right? Colossians 1, 27. Here's what it says. God has chosen to make known the glorious riches of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Does it say someday Jesus will be present in you and it'll be amazing? No, no, it's already happened. Christ inside of you, the hope of glory. God's chosen to make known to the world His beauty, his power, his love through you. Again, I ask simply, do you believe that? He is already making known his glorious riches in you. It's a done deal. He's already doing it. His pattern, if we're talking about the patterns of Jesus, his pattern is to absolutely invite and include you. He wants to reveal his goodness not only to you, but through you as well. I don't know about you. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah? All right. We should be. We should be. Amen, sister. I was waiting for somebody to say something. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the thing about it, what does that mean? We should be, but what? Maybe we're not yet. And all I'm asking is why? Why? All right. Wrapping this up. Here we go. I can't believe, I'm getting done in lesson. this is crazy. I'm so out of character. <laughs> Here's the questions I want you to consider as we wrap this up. Number one. What's God been saying to you this morning? Again, it's hard. We're used to a pattern. It's not what the pastor said. It's not what the worship leader said. It's not the song that I signed. But what do you identify as the voice of God speaking to you this morning? What is one takeaway for the time that you spent here in worship with brothers and sisters this morning?
0: Love.
1: Oh. Say it Love. Love? Awesome. I'd ask you for more. We can talk later. Right? There's more to unpack there, I'm sure. Okay? Third question. Is Jesus bringing you, where you're at right now in life, is he bringing you a message of invitation? Come closer. Get to know me better. Join the covenant I'm already extending to you with unfailing love, says the psalmist. Or is it a message of challenge? You know you're walking with me. I know you're walking with me, and I'm really excited about that, but here's what here's what we're going to take on next. Here's the challenge. And because you know that I love you and you, you are in love with me, no matter what it is, even if it pushes you a little bit and nudges you outside of your normal life comfort zone, you're willing to entertain that thought and actually move into it because it's me
0: asking you to do that.
1: How is he speaking? How is he framing His message to you this morning, is it a message of invitation or is it a message of challenge? Let's go do this thing. Lastly, who will you talk and then pray with about what you've heard? Honestly, think about it. Who would it be? Who do you trust? Who do you know knows what you know and kind of understands you? But they need to hear what what you heard God say to you, so that they can help you sort through that and filter through that and make some sense out of it. Who will you talk with and pray about that with this morning? So what we've learned is that Jesus uses patterns, and one of the patterns, in fact, it's the it's the it's the challenge that He gives at the end of His first massive sermon in Matthew, beginning in in Matthew 5, going through Matthew 7. The very last is he tells a really cool story and we sing about it as children. You know, the wise man builds his house on the rock, right? Where's the foolish man build his house? On On a sand, sand, right? Okay. Then actually Jesus goes beyond like the, the building block thing to talk about. What does that mean? Here's what it means. If you hear from God and do something about it, You're the wise man. If you hear from God, accompanied by shivers and hair raising and whatever else could go on, but don't do anything about it, you're foolish. The difference between wisdom and foolishness in Jesus' own words is when you hear from God, you don't ignore it, you honor it, you don't worship what you heard, you do what he's leading you to do. That is what Jesus said is wisdom. So, I'm going to pray, but I'm going to give you actually some time and space. Think about all we talked about here this morning. Think about actually hearing the voice of God in some form or another this morning, and then actually not just a feeling, not even a good glowing feeling, but like actual sentences I heard God, like, put this together and say to me this morning, fill in the blank. I want you to take a moment, I'll give you the time to do that, to consider, what did God say to you this morning? And what are you going to do about it? All right, let's quietly consider that in our prayer time, and then I'll close out the prayer. Jesus, he told us that following you would involve hearing the word of God. He said it in these words, we will not live only by the food we eat, the bread that we take in, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And I, and I hope we together this morning choose to believe that you you've been speaking already this morning. And and, and the cry of our hearts is to live. We want to live. We want to live full, vibrant, fruitful lives as followers of Jesus. And we we realize that can only happen if we're hearing from you. So I want to thank you for. The time and space and even just the spirit in in this group that is open and willing and desiring to make that time. The quietness to listen, to think, to contemplate, to hear your voice. That is a precious gift. Whether we do it alone by ourselves or whether we do it in a group like this, it's a powerful thing to hear from God and I pray This morning that each of us will grapple with what you said to us today.
0: Amen.